I live in Elliott, Maine, and I am also um, the brainchild of the Galileo interviews, which we interview people who have had supernatural or out-of-this-world experiences. And from the sounds of it, this weekend, uh, we could be interviewing everybody here. Uh, well, we probably will. It's been quite the uh, quite the few days here. And we also have our good friend and uh, renowned filmmaker, Alexander Petikoff. Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah you're going to take the mic here. Hi, everyone. Alexander Petikoff. I've been on the show a couple times, but I'm a filmmaker and cryptid and kind of anomalous phenomena researcher. Very interested in this stuff, and it's my second time out here in Pennsylvania, and I'm excited to talk about some of our experiences. So, All right. we also have hey everybody. I'm Shane Sairway. I'm regular co uh, guest co-host on the show and uh, paranormal researcher. And we also have. Good morning. I'm Lori Greer. I'm the casting producer for the show, a longtime friend of Paul's, and I am going to bring hopefully a more behavioral perspective and uh, data collection system to some of um, what we do. I'm Andrew Rennes, and I'm the research assistant and uh, all around Aaron boy here. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for being here, and uh, we'll get the camera back in line. And Ben uh, is going to be our um, honcho today. He's going to kind of host and ask the questions because he wasn't here with us for the quite the, the amazing events of the last uh, few days. So. Uh, ben, if we have, um, you're ready to go, let's, uh, oh, yeah. let's proceed with uh, your questions. Well, what if I said no? Um, so well, essentially, you're fired. Well, I know. <laughs> you can't fire me, I'm your son. Alrighty, so let's start off with, you know, the, the basics here. I guess sort of, sort of like a, a brief, you know, timeline of um, the events that sort of transpired over the last couple of days. So let's start with your arrival on Thursday. What happened? Okay. Very good. Well, I'm going to turn it over to Chuck because he is uh, the most articulate here and he uh, saw everything and can uh, explain what's been going on. Yeah, so um, for those of you that aren't aware, uh, Dubois, Pennsylvania, or Dubois, Pennsylvania, is a township. Is it a township or is it a city? A city it's a city. Yeah. And uh, we are uh, not too, too far from uh, kind of some weird happenings that have been going on in a general area in Dubois for going back on, it sounds like, hundreds of years. So for those of you who aren't familiar with what is termed a flap area, this is an area of high strangeness in which people here are reporting everything from lights in the sky to UFOs to Bigfoot to cryptids to ghosts, I don't know, maybe even goblins and all sorts of things, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, does the, why don't you explain what a cryptid is? People might not be familiar with the term. Sure. So cryptids, and Alex, please correct me if I'm wrong, but a cryptid is... Any sort of man-like creature that is, I don't know, how would you define a cryptid? Uh, a cryptid is basically an undiscovered or um, out-of-place animal, and this could range from anything from something like a Bigfoot to mountain lions in areas where they previously existed or any other sorts of creatures. It's really just any animal. So the coelacanth, uh, the thylacine in Australia, even alligators in the sewers technically could be categorized as cryptids. So essentially, we're here in Pennsylvania, and um, how many times have you been here trying to investigate? Six times? Uh, yeah, this is my sixth uh, expedition. And this weekend, we arrived on a Thursday with uh, high hopes of trying to either capture or see some things, and uh, it all started with a little bit of a thunderstorm. Um, we actually got here 
drove through a thunderstorm, and by the time that we arrived on the property where we are currently, um, we met up with the people that own the home and ended up kind of doing a little bit of a sky watch. As the sky cleared, we could see some thunder to the south and uh, some clouds lighting up. And the longer that we sat here, the more uh, beauty came out of the sky. And the next thing you know, um, a bunch of us were sitting here doing a sky watch. And that's when we saw um, just over a little tree that was uh, right near us. We actually saw, and I'm going to explain it as I saw it, but to me it was a, a big mist that was coming from behind a tree. And as we watched this lit up mist with like a whitish light behind this mist it continued probably southeast from where we were on a straight trajectory while going we saw this go to the left to the right almost like a leaf might fall from a tree at one point we start filming it paul was smart enough to actually get on a night cam camera right and as we watched this object all of us witnessed, all five people that were present, and a dog, so about five and a half people, um, a white light, as bright as a star, came out of this object, circled around, and came back in, followed by another light soon after. As I watched this, it continued down to its trajectory until it got behind a tree, and just as it was about to get behind the tree, I witnessed it what I would say almost powered up. It just lit up very, very brightly before disappearing. Um, so that was what we had happened Thursday. Should we stop there and talk a little bit more about that and get everybody's experiences and thoughts? Yeah, I think actually we can, uh, we're going to attempt a little seat of the pants technology here and try and show uh, the video, uh, courtesy of um, the laptop here with uh, Alexander Petikoff. And if, if we can just uh, get that held up to the screen, I should say to the webcam, maybe uh, Alexander can explain and uh, narrate it. And this is, this is the first time... This has ever been shown publicly, except for yesterday at, the, at our talk. So what I'm about to show is uh, one of the enhancements I attempted to do, which is will be in the negative. So it'll it just helps identify it a little bit, and you'll see it a little bit clearly. So I'm just going to hold it up now, and I will hit play. So for those of you listening for the uh, the the radio audience here, this they're showing a uh, a video of this event that that happened to them, which is you know not super great radio, but it is it is really interesting from my end to kind of see this object in in what looks like a um, in like a like a ultra not ultraviolet can't remember the name of the word, but it's it's infrared. Infrared. There we go. That's the word. Wow, that's actually really fascinating. So it's sort of slowly moving over, moving over the skyline. And what time of day was this again? This was about uh, twelve fifteen at night. Oh wow! Yep, there we go. So <laughs> oh wow! So one thing that should be noted is how it changes shape. You'll see as towards the end of the video now, it kind of turns more into a ball as opposed to being sort of peanut shaped at the beginning. I think we all kind of agreed on that and there was this little object that was flying with it that you can see in the video. Now, we saw that coming off of the object once or twice, and it was much more defined than the blob kind of misty cloud that we saw. So it was, you know, clearly two sort of objects, and they were interacting and moving through the sky. So it's changed. Are you going to go to the next, the, the other video? Uh, no, I'll just, okay, just play this one. I'll just play this one. Put it while we're ahead. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it looks it looks good on our end, so that's a plus. Um, but no, that's fascinating. I almost suggested, you know, as as um, as everything was kind of being described, I was sort of looking at it as uh, ball lightning almost. That's that was kind of the first thing that came to mind. But now, after kind of seeing that, it was like, oh no, that is something very, very, very different. Hey everybody, this is Shane. Um, yeah, so my impression was kind of the same as what Paul um, uttered when, when we first saw it. It almost looked like, at first, what we thought looked like a plane. Once it puts its, its uh, landing gear down, it has a bright light, you know, so it can see where it's landing. And it looked like it was coming in from the background. It was getting brighter and brighter and bigger and bigger. And then, um, uh, and then as it got closer, it started to grow like this fog just started to come grow around it and um and then this light appeared that came out of it and kind of circled down then right back up to the you know to the top left of, of this this object it was swinging you know back and forth and then it slowly started to move down towards like our five o'clock if you will in the sky and where it slowly descended along with this light that that stayed like fixed on its you know 10 11 o'clock and just slowly until it got out of you know down towards the horizon where it disappeared and where it, like chuck said where he saw it power up um but just truly amazing i've seen plenty of, of ufos in in my day and this was just something that i think just left all our mouths wide open and without question um of what we saw um it was just uh, amazing i mean it was like i said a true ufo and um let's uh, get alex in on that uh, let's show it still this this can just help illustrate a little more it's just kind of a still image and i'll talk a little bit about that okay you can see it so there's a little dot you can see coming off of it i can kind of point to it that object and this one this one right here is a star and that object is the one that moves entirely with this blob object throughout the video mm -hmm. but you can see they're pretty similar but someone might look at that and say well that's a star but no because it moves with it the whole time so pretty interesting well plus you also have that that uh, that smaller dot which is is the actual star to kind of use as a reference point and someone who is who's on the other end of this looking at it says that's way darker than than the object immediately next to it where you would probably perceive it as being the same distance away so this this kind of leads me to um my next question which is is there any sort of significance that any of you kind of drew from the the thunderstorm previous to? Now, uh, I would I would su suggest that maybe this has something to do with electromagnetic discharge in some way, shape, or form. Um, I wasn't there. I wish I was, but I wasn't. So I, I would I would say maybe there was some significance drawn from that. Not to, not to take anything away from your experience. What I'm saying is, is there anything of important? Oh, good question. Uh, who would like to come, Alexander? Okay. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. put yeah. Shane on after. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. I mean, we had uh, such a clear night, and that's something I really want to kind of uh, make a point of saying that it was because we were able to see almost 40, 50 planes that evening, watch them, watch their behavior. I saw five or six shooting stars that night as well. We were seeing lots of lightning bugs. And this, this thing that we saw behaved like none of those. I mean, it was completely different in the way it looked and acted. I mean, we were looking at planes afterwards and saying, why doesn't this plane have a mist or a haze or a fog around it? It was totally clear. This thing, you know, when I first saw it, I thought it was maybe just a, a cloud that was illuminated by either the moon or a star. And then it started moving, and that's when we all started 
noticing it. And like I said, we kept cross-referencing it with all the other objects we were seeing, and it was not like any of these things. And after this thing went over the horizon, Shane and I actually saw it, or something to that degree, go from right to left, big ball of light very quickly in a split second just kind of go by. So uh, that was something very interesting, and I know Shane wanted to add something else about that. Yeah, so, excuse me. So what was clear to us, like, to answer Ben's question about the significance with the thunderstorm is we had a major storm come through here, and um, it, where we, we are, we're at a high, higher ele elevation, and you can see, you know, to uh, right around you, 360, pretty, pretty well, um, you know, along the horizon, and we saw these huge, even though it was clear where we were at at some points, you could see these storm clouds, in the, in the you know along the horizon and you could see just this massive lightning going on just constantly like boom 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 it was like like machine gun fire you know and so you know as it got a little bit later we all took post in the you know in the woods you know looking for the bigfoot thing and then um looking for our own experience solo and so i was down at the camp in the pavilion and alexander was down by a ravine and you know we and, and paul was out in the in the back uh, the backfield of the property where he had experienced before and when i was down at the campsite the trees are so full here right now they're just you know fully leaved and, and canopied i couldn't you know i had no view of this the sky at all but i knew it was had cleared up and we had you know starry night and everything and with that thunderstorm that came by you know i've noticed a huge increase in ufo sightings after a big storm like that and i think it's because of the electricity and even with the um the, the somewhat controversial Santilli telescope where they have that telescope that they use, you know, the ultraviolet rays to look for dark energy in, in the atmosphere or actually in the universe. They started seeing these, you know, these craft-like, silver cell-like uh, things in the sky and they, they, they focus around like thunderclouds and uh, powered, uh, power, uh, what am I looking for here? Power plants. Power plants. I'm sorry. Long, long uh, weekend here. And uh, not a lot of sleep. Sorry. I was going to say, it doesn't sound like you guys got a lot of sleep. <laughs> no, not at all. Too much excitement. Yeah, a lot of excitement. So so when they're using the Centilli telescope around power plants and, and, like I said, storm clouds, they're starting to see, like, they, they were taking pictures of a lot of these things that look like your classic disc-shaped UFO. And so, you, you know, using that information, you know, I'm sitting down at the... The, the campsite not being able to look at the sky i can't see two feet in front of me because it, you know because of the canopy of the trees i wouldn't be able to see if a bigfoot walked right in front of me anyway so i was like we got a sky watch that's what we need to do so i went up to the to the um, owner's backyard which is, is a big cleared field and you have a clear sight of the the sky and slowly every, everybody started joining me and then we had that amazing amazing sighting so um this is chuck um so maybe it's it's worth kind of mentioning um, how this night transpired on Thursday. So like Shane just said, he was actually down staking out an area surrounded by trees. And when he came up, I was kind of just sitting there sky watching alone at that point, correct? Or I think maybe Alice was with me. And um, what was interesting is is it's we started watching the clouds. Now, I want to go back to something you asked as well, Ben. You said... Um, you asked about the thunderstorms and, and its possible correlation to what we witnessed. So we were watching thunderstorms, and they were actually all the clouds and the thunder and, and everything that we witnessed was actually to the southeast of us. 
and everything was being pushed that way. Um, what's interesting is this thing, whatever it is that we witnessed, was to the north, and it headed northeast of us. So it actually would have been a different trajectory going against where a lot of the wind was, which is another fascinating thing I'm just starting to think about right now. You beat me to it. I was actually going to ask you that. <laughs> yeah, so we were looking southeast, and that's where all the storms were, and they were heading away from us southeast. This thing was north of us going northeast. So it was actually going in a slightly different direction. Um, getting back to the timeline, though, um, when Shane came down, I said, boy, you know, we're so blessed to be out here and sitting here and look at the sky. It's opening up and it's absolutely gorgeous. So he and I did like a, a really quick like meditation in which we kind of said, well, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And we kind of just pictured a red triangle in the sky. And we said, we hope we want anybody that's out there that wants to come join us, come on down. And we just pictured this red triangle in the sky. And it wasn't more than probably 45 minutes to an hour when everybody had joined us and then this happened and uh i gotta tell you I, i've seen some things i've gone to east city ranch i've you know held some sky watches where things have shown up but this one right here is is one where i've in all my years of interviewing people that have had sightings i've never heard anybody define a ufo sighting as this misty light that traveled in a very particular direction this way and having things shoot off it um, it is one of the more bizarre things I've ever seen in all my years. So, Paul. Oh. Yeah, there were a couple of points about this this sighting and what went on previous to it. Uh, we, a couple of us had the same idea before we came out here this trip, and that was to start to employ uh, some newer techniques in uh, our research. One was music, or at least sound. And before the two major events, the, this being the first one of this uh, particular expedition, uh, two things happened. Uh, Shane was now. I did, did you? You didn't play the tones before the UFO thing, though. But you did do this meditation, as Chuck just described. Oh, well, okay, right. Uh, but I was up in the back field by myself, and I I, I put on some music. Uh, and I've had a few experiences like this before that put on some music and everything seems to calm down. It's, it's, it's lovely to listen to for one thing and everything just stops. The crickets stop and everything else. What was this? Uh, oh, no, no. Yes. Yeah, precisely. It was, um, yeah, uh, Morgan Lawrence, uh, the, the American, the Scandinavian American composer. And it's very unusual, calming. He writes a lot of liturgical music and it's, uh, uh, it's unique in my opinion. So I, I like it, and uh, that that was where I had my uh, Bigfoot sighting in uh, September of, of 2016, and that from that very site. So I just figured I would do it. So whether that had anything to do with it, I don't know. But um, the uh, I don't know. I just the question arises: What was this thing that we saw? Uh, the common assumption is it's a craft. Okay, perfectly plausible. Uh, there are other possibilities as well. The makeup of this, when you saw it in, uh, not in the, the negative form, but you know, when you were looking at it with your naked eye, was that it was a, a circular object or peanut shaped, as Chuck described. But there seemed to be a darker, I don't know, uh, what, a space uh, on either end of it, almost as if it was a donut. This is going through it. This has been called a classic intersect point, and we're always talking about the multiverse on, on this show. And if that's what it was, uh, we have um, 
the possibilities that this was an intersect point. It wasn't a craft at all. Another possibility, uh, such as Carl Sagan suggested, uh, the great uh, astrophysicist who uh, passed away, with a great writer, novelist, etc., uh, was that these are living things. Uh, there are possibilities that these could be plasma-based life forms, as he and other astrophysicists have suggested, although not necessarily on this planet, <laughs> possible alien life. But uh, the Santilli telescope, you know, what are things they're picking up in the atmosphere that may not be uh, known to science yet? You know, as, as our friend Mark Antonio says, uh, undiscovered science. So uh, the, this is another possibility, and uh, particularly with the smaller object following it. I mean, is, is it possible this was a, a mother and a child? Father and a child? I mean, it's very possible. You have to keep not only an open mind, but an open mind that's, uh, as the cliche goes, outside the box. So these are all things that we, we've been considering. But we wondered if there was a connection between the musical tones or the music uh, and what, what transpired over the uh, that and the following night. And uh, to turn it over to Alec, we have uh, two minutes before break. Yeah, just, just this was... If I just hit, did I just kill the audio? No. Um, this was definitely one of the stranger things I have seen personally in the sky, having just seen a couple other UFOs. This was definitely the most vivid, and I think it truly fits the definition of UFO, I would say, because we don't know the origins. For all we know, this could possibly be some sort of top-secret military craft, something like that. It really is, is so hard to tell, but I think there's really no more fitting of a term than UFO for this object. Okay, so I guess kind of that being said, um, we don't have a ton of time before the bottom of the hour, so like about mm, three and a half minutes, actually a little less than that, like two and a half. Um, so I'm okay. just going to float this out there, pardon the pun. Um, so if, this, if, what, if what was experienced was a living organism um, and whatnot, I, I really want to learn more about... Because I, I heard this in passing when I was on the phone with you, you yesterday. It was like, oh, yeah, we did experiments with music, and then, you know, the topic immediately changed, and, you know, tones and, and such. And because this is what I like to think is my field of expertise, um, what if, I'm just, what if the, essentially, you know, if you, if you are messing with tones and frequencies and stuff, obviously it's going to affect things around it, uh, i.e., you know, that music experiment that was done with, like, plants where, you know, you put on Jimi Hendrix, the plants die, but you put on, like, Bach or something, and the plants... Actually, that was about live. right. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. I know it was, like, back in the 70s or something. But, um, you know, that being early said... Early 70s. Yeah. Early 70s, whatever. Uh, that being said, um, if... What if, you know, this was some sort of organic matter that was affected by the tones that were played? Because you did this, you know, hours before, Correct. Yeah, well, essentially, yeah. Now, when did you do your meditation? I, I remember that because I was there. Uh, this was several hours before. It was still daylight. It was about, yeah, what yeah. said. Like, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so we, Shane and I were um, over here at the area, and we sort of did this meditation. And I would say within the hour is when we saw the thing. At the same time, Paul was in his truck. And I would say within 15 minutes of our meditation, Paul was probably playing that, that music because we were all texting each other and, and checking in. So if I had to guess, I would say within 15 minutes of our meditation, Paul was also doing the music. Would that okay. make sense, Paul? I think that's correct, yes. All right. Absolutely. Okay. All right, so just to give a preview before our break, uh, we'll be talking. We had, we had a very, very interesting experience 
<coughs> excuse me, uh, Friday night, and then a, a lot the largest uh, community meeting we've ever had, town hall meeting, if you will, uh, in the area, and uh, we did some interviews. A lot of interesting stuff came out of that. Okay, so what we'll do, um, in my in my opinion, to kind of give an overview of of everything when we come back from the break, I would like you guys to give me like a brief point by point, you know, what day happened when, and then we'll just go through each day. Yes, sir. Okay, doke. Um, so, uh, you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WON 1240 AM on this very beautiful, soon to be almost summery day in Blackstone Valley. And uh, stay with us. OM Radio. It's springtime and Paw Sox baseball time. Don't miss our Red Sox World Series card sets on our next legendary Friday, May 31st. Then millennials can enjoy post-game fireworks show Saturday night, set to the greatest hits of the 2000s. And every Sunday, fans can enjoy a summer catch on the field from 11.30 in the morning until noon, and then run the bases after the game. Visit PawSox.com and celebrate Rhode Island. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with uh, Paul and Ben Eno here on WON, 12.40 a.m. and 99.3 FM. And uh, we are here with the intrepid adventurers over in Pennsylvania while they are in investigating this amazing flap area and getting some once-in-a-lifetime type footage. And uh, we're going to go through, you know, some of the events that have happened over the last couple of days. So it's over to you guys. Tell us, tell us about the next day. What happened on Friday? Okay, well... Uh not much until the evening. Uh, did you want to report anything during the day? Because I'm going to turn it over to Lori and Andrew, who had arrived by then, experienced what we experienced that night. Okay, so let's turn it over to uh, uh, Lori Greer, who is our um, casting producer for our show, but full-time she is a behavioral scientist and brings a scientific point of view uh, to our team that I think we really need, uh, particularly when it comes to data gathering. So. Yeah, I have a few questions for Lori as well once well, once, once we get over there. <laughs> okay, hi Ben, how are you? Good, you? Good. Um, well, Andrew and I um, didn't arrive till uh, late Friday evening because of the traffic. Um, and we were out doing our stakeouts in the, um, the field near the Eastern Continental Divide. And um, Paul had played his music and then Shane was playing his tones and uh we were talking a little bit about the c5 tones i think they're called is that what they were c5. um and then we you know after a bit we we went back to the to the home and we were all gathered downstairs by um the exit door and all of a sudden um we heard a tone didn't know its origin didn't know where it was coming from and um you know so we were all kind of looking up in the ceiling looking in another room trying to find if, a, if it was an alarm going off or um, or what have you and then we opened the door and walked outside and the tone seemed to move outside and then kind of faded into into the sky so um, that was the experience so I don't know if anyone else has any um, anything to add as to what their you know what their thoughts were well I actually want to ask you something quickly Lori um, so ha you've you viewed this footage correct and as sort of the, the resident intellectual, how did you feel about um, the footage that was captured the night prior? Well, I, I wish I had been there to witness it. You know, unfortunately, um, I, you know, we weren't here, so we just, um, 
you know, we just saw the saw the footage, and it's it's hard to tell, you know, and mm. you know, you make your cor- correlations between what you think it is and and what you actually saw. So I just wish that I was there to to see it myself because I'm one of those, I'm like the doubting Thomas. I'm not the believer until I see something. That's so. fair. All right, fair enough. All right. So uh, in this case, you heard something. I wanted to get uh, Andrew Varnas, our our, uh, our gallant uh, research assistant here, to talk about his impressions of the sound, which he heard himself. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Um, since no one's really brought it up, what happens if this tone was not organic and it was coming from something? No one's really posed up that question yet, so I'm just going to throw it out there, and I want to hear some different sides on what if it was something that, you know, was just an alarm in the kitchen and just throw us way off because no one's really posed that uh, alter alter ego kind of side of the question okay well we'll uh, pass it to Chuck and see what his impression or, or I guess uh, you put your hand up first Alex and we'll go to you <clears throat> yeah just to my experience with it was you know this was towards the end of the night we were all getting ready to go to bed I was going to head down to the campground with Andrew we were just gathering our stuff and we were just kind of sitting there or standing there rather in the garage just twiddling our thumbs and his tone just came on and it was loud and i look immediately over at paul and i start joking paul what did you step on thinking that there's some sort of device and we all immediately start picking up our phones and we're checking them and looking at them and we're looking up and it sounds like it's coming right above us and almost like it's moving you know we're checking these different rooms we immediately go outside and i distinctly as soon as i got out in the driveway i heard it up in the air in the sky and then it started moving around in the sky and you clearly you could hear it it kind of faded out and it kept going and then all of a sudden it was just a, a hum and then gone like you hit an off switch and the weird part about this was chuck didn't hear any of this he was laying in a room maybe 10 feet away from where we were all gathered with the door a, a wood a small wooden door that was cracked open didn't hear any of this and our hosts were sleeping right above the garage they didn't hear any of this I was convinced that we were going to wake everyone up with this loud sound. That's why we were scrambling to try and turn it off or or disable it. And um, to me, it sounded like some sort of manipulation of sound and the way it moved. And um, I'm sure Shane can talk more about how it was it was a, a C note, a perfect C note, and very similar to some of the tones we were playing. And this was by far the strangest sound uh, incident I've ever had. I mean, the extent of stuff I've heard has been Bigfoot vocalizations and what are called wood knocks and those sorts of things but this this was like it moved and i felt that almost like it was it, got, it took us outside the, the way it moved because it was above us i think even Lori at one point pointed out it was right above her in the garage and then it was outside it was uh, different and we were able to record it on two devices so we have this tone with our commentary on paul and shane's phone so uh, it wasn't something we all just heard it was definitely there and um, here's Shane to kind of piggyback on that. Yeah, just to add to that too. So, just my experience. <clears throat> so we were like Alex said, we were all in the garage, and and uh, we we started hearing this, and we started looking at our phones. We realized, you know, it wasn't our phones. At that point, Lori was standing in front of the door in the garage, to, you know, the door to come into the garage, and but she was inside. And she points up and she says, it, it's right up here, you know. And, and so she was also standing next to the door to the laundry room. So I'm thinking maybe, maybe it's a washer dryer. You know, maybe there's a tone going off on one of those. And so her and I opened the door and we realized it wasn't in, coming from in there. So at that point, I started to exit. And when I exited, I stuck my head out 
and the tone was still inside. It hadn't gone outside yet. It wasn't until we all moved outside that it moved up into the sky, and I heard the transition, and it wasn't like I was, um, you know, mistaking it for, the, you know, the original location. I heard it move outside and up. At that point, Alex ran over onto the lawn about, you know, 20, 30 feet away from where I was standing, and he's like, it's up there. It's, it's right above me, and, and so and it was clear. So it, it carried on nice and steady until it, it started to fade off. And then it, it gave us maybe three seconds of silence, and it came back again. It moved to our left, probably like 40 yards, until it just stopped like a like a light switch was turned off. What was really significant to me, um, and I thought about this later on, was when I was thinking about this tone in my head after everyone went to bed, I'm like, you know, that was exactly one of the tones that I played up on that on that mountain while we were, you know, up there playing tones and, and kind of like uh, sightseeing. And it and so I played that tone back, and, and I'm like, you know, on my phone, the tone that I had, I'm like, that's a key of C. And so I, I played the recording that I got out of the, um, you know, what we all heard in the sky, and it was the perfect key of C. And they both, you know, so it, to me it was like, this was a communication and it felt that way to me it wasn't something that just happened to me i felt like um we were meant to hear that it was a it was a like i said a, a communication and like alex said that night it felt like it it, it wanted to speed it drew us out of the house basically so it was an interaction i believe that's what i strongly strongly really do b believe okay so okay, I, I, I can uh, play one of the recordings of this sound and you can hear the tone but we're we're, we're yakking there sort of in the in the midst of it but you can clearly hear the uh the tone here we'll... that's fair all right now that let's come back what the hey and that isn't feedback that's at the tone it's moving it's gone yeah that one how it's off like it literally just turned off it did, did it sound like it was coming from the sky. Move it around. I'm trying to see if it was like right over the house. It sounded like it was coming from inside the house before. Yeah, that's before, and then we it drew us out, whatever it was. And then it seemed like it moved over there. It drew us out. Did Chuck even hear that? Very interesting. You know, the sounds of the sky are increasing more and more. They are. So you get the idea. Uh, is there another, there's the other recording as well. This guy, is It sounded almost like a, uh, uh, a tone that you, okay, here's, here's another, another one here. And I think it's important to state, I didn't hear any of this whatsoever. And I was just 10 to 12 feet away. So, again, it almost sounded like Shane said, a key is C. And for those of you that are wondering, wow, is, is there mic feedback? It's It sounds a little bit like feedback. That was the sound. It was a duh. And, and some people would almost say, because Alice, who who is one of the owners of the property, she has a glass Tibetan bowl. And I was what she say, does, that's, what that, that's exactly what that sounds like. It sounds like a Tibetan singing bowl. 
Well, after I think you came in, Alex, and you were, I was just kind of laying there with my eyes open in bed. You're like, did you hear that? And I was like, hear what? What are you guys talking about? And we went out and I saw everybody kind of scrambling around outside. And at that point, I think Shane, you were over there looking at that bowl, which was at the other side of the house. There was nobody over there. The bowl wasn't going off. And even if it was, it wouldn't explain why you would hear it inside and I wouldn't hear because I would have been closer to it. In a different key. Yeah, it was a little different. But it, 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 that's the closest thing, and I can tell you what it sounded like, just to give the audience an example. Well, okay. my first my first guess would be that it sound, a singing bowl is interesting because it depends on the density and the size of it that would make the tone that it makes. So some make higher pitches, some make lower pitches. It, it de- depends on the size and density. And it, this, to me, as, as someone who, although... Keep this in mind, the source is a phone that is coming through like three layers of like audio routing for me, so I can't hear it as well as I'd like to. Um, but there is a really... The, the interesting thing that I'd like to point out as, as someone who studied this stuff is that if you usually if you do hear a tone, something like this, you know, either... It, it's, never, it's never completely perfect, ever, unless it's generated by a computer... Or if it, you know, if, if it happens to be struck, one of two things could happen. So one, you could hit it and it wouldn't, you can hit like, you know, like a steel beam or something like that and it wouldn't be loud. You know, you, or you, it would be loud for like an instant, but it wouldn't ring, it wouldn't keep going. The second thing that I noticed that's interesting is it doesn't decay. So usually with uh, like a singing bowl or something, you strike it with a little little mallet and then you run it around on the outside to increase the amount of vibration to make it louder and louder and louder and then it just dies off so decay refers to you know the tone changing so if it is you know a perfect like c5 or like a440 or something like that like you hit on a hit on like a uh, like a keyboard or um you know like a piano you'll notice that when you hit it even if you hold it the string that the little mallet hits um, you know, it'll be that perfect A for a second, but then it'll it'll decay in fifths. So it'll go from A to D to G to C, and then back to A, and it, it, it decays over time, so it doesn't stay perfect. And even if you did hit the singing bowl, uh, for it to end just so abruptly, it's just impossible. That's there's no there's no way for that to be that that's automatically ruled out that it can't be the singing bowl because there's no decay. Because once you finish striking a singing bowl, it decays and turns into a completely different tone. So that rules that out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to address Andrew's point as well. <clears throat> yeah, it's because it did sound mechanical to me. But what does that mean? It could be anything. Uh, as far as alarms, we did we did kind of look for that. And the thing we wanted to find out from the homeowners the next day uh, was, is that anything you own? And it wasn't. Well, here's the thing with alarms, right? So what makes us hate sirens so much? Because they are what's called the devil's tritone. So a tritone is essentially, you know, thirds that are put together, and they just make a really dissonant note that we hate hearing. So every siren is made up of tritones. So most alarms, usually they're made up of these loud tritones. So it's a mix of three tones put into one to make you hate it. (laughs) So you want to turn it off. Well, there you go. This was very pleasant to listen to. I thought. Anybody disagree? You know, it, it was uh, it was loud, but it was not jarring and uh, quite pleasant. So, 
uh, if there's nothing more on that subject, we can move on to the neighborhood meeting the next day, or actually community meeting. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. We went to, uh, we prepared a PowerPoint presentation, uh, and uh, several of us spoke. And this was at the, uh, we certainly thanked them, because uh, I know many of them are listening, uh, the Over the Mountain Restaurant in Rockton, Pennsylvania. Uh, wonderful. We had a really nice time meeting all the warm and wonderful folks over there on the crew and among the customers. So um, there were, after our presentation, we did some interviews. And uh, Lori did some interviews, and uh, Chuck and, Ale and uh, Alec did some. And so, Chuck, would you like to uh, talk about um, some of the things you found out from the folks who visited? Yeah, so um, like we do uh, did last year and this year, we Alex and I like to kind of see if we can get a few people that would go on record and, and be videotaped as the strange experiences in the area. Um, after we sifted through a few people and we kind of <laughs> figured out, stories, yeah. yeah, had some stories. We figured out that um, you know we did interview this one gentleman. Um, but just before we interviewed him, we, we had a couple of pieces of information. Some of the things that we ask at these is we ask how many people have seen black helicopters. And last year we realized almost everybody out of the 20-plus people that were there raised their hand, meaning they're seeing unmarked black helicopters <coughs> fly around the area, which I've always struggled with myself because, I mean, helicopters should be marked in some way. Um, it's illegal to not have any markings, actually. Yeah, I mean, you would think that... You'd see something on it, or I don't know. This this area has helicopters going over it, and people are seeing it. And, and a lot of the people there are seeing like just black unmarked helicopters, which I think is odd. But that leads us to something that that Ben, I'm sure you and your dad have talked about. And I've heard you both talk about many times, which is in these flap areas. There comes the question of is there a government presence, whether it be secretive or non-secretive, in which not only the helicopters are coming to and from but where maybe they might be studying the phenomenon themselves, which has been an ongoing theory that you've had, Paul. So the other question was asked by me, does anybody know of any military installations where there's kind of secretive or um, word of mouth that people have debated about? And while nobody really wanted to raise their hand and give us very clear information about that, we did talk to two people that um, had some interesting information, one of which set up the road a half a mile, you're going to see an area that's signed off that um, we believe is a, a government installation. So this was a half mile from where we were. Now, we can't verify that. But what we could verify that was really fascinating was about 30 minutes from where we are now or about 15 minutes from where we ate um, and we're holding that conference, there is a location that is in the middle of a forested area which is another thing that we tend to look for and it actually used to have a nuclear reactor in it and when i looked about this place that i was told about uh, they had a jet company go in there nuclear reactor and it was in the middle of the forest in fact i read some online articles of them trying to um, take a lot of the nuclear material out of there which this is only about 30 minutes away from where we are right now now, why is that significant? I don't know, except to say that, you know, there is a long-standing correlation between UFO um, observations and anything to do with nuclear material. Um, even uh, where we are from New Hampshire, the incident at Exeter happened around um, three different nuclear installations. And uh, so there's a long-running history of that. 
Um, I want to talk a little bit about the interview that we did and some things that came out. Yeah, definitely. I, I do want to just mention on the theme of black helicopters, I had a young boy come up to the table. We kind of set up outside, and I had a, a Bigfoot track that was taken from in 1995 in the Chestnut Ridge area of Pennsylvania, which is a little bit southwest of Pittsburgh. I had that on display. I had a book by Stan Gordon, the, the Bigfoot UFO Case Files book, really interesting um, piece of literature. And this young boy came up, you're naturally curious, and I start talking to him, oh, are you interested in Bigfoot? And, you know, the young kids all see Finding Bigfoot in some of these shows, so they're big fans of it. And I start talking to him, asking him about experiences, and he said, yeah, I saw a black helicopter while I was at recess two weeks ago. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. You know, little kids can have uh, a very active imagination. But he was very articulate about the way he described it. And what was interesting was that he said it wasn't a life flight helicopter. And I'm like, what's a life flight? And this is something I noticed even today when we were out in town. We were met some uh, two EMS uh, workers and they had a little tag on their uh, belt, life flight. These are the emergency helicopters that come in to uh, medevac people out of the area. So this boy knew about this and he distinguished that from the device or the, the object he saw, which was totally unmarked, uh, which he even noted isn't legal. I mean, so he, I thought it was pretty credible. But once we started talking to other folks, we'd heard about abandoned railroad tunnels in the area where there were strange mists being seen and objects and people walking that would disappear and other sorts of things. But then we interviewed a gentleman who uh, was originally from this area, but I believe lived at, in and out of this area his whole life and in D.C. and other areas. Really interesting. Yeah, he had a lot to say about this, but he kind of, he was one of these people that, you know, lived and worked in other areas, but would come back here for the summers and would spend time with his family here. And they all lived up in the mountains here and these kind of very remote areas. And they all had stories to tell about Bigfoot and encounters with the Sasquatch. And I think he related a little bit to that with sort of the Native American folklore in the area. But he talked about encounters with a family that had their trailer shook uh, and there were still markings on the trailer to this day where these hand marks were, and there were little kids in there, and the mother was trying to comfort them. And he talked about an experience where he had staying at his cousin's house, and something jumped on the wooden deck in the back. He was laying on a couch in another room, but something jumped on the deck so hard that it shook the whole house and all the windows. And he said in four steps, four really loud steps, this thing was out of there. And, you know, talking to his cousin, his cousin had similar experiences a couple weeks before that to the point, I believe, where he drew a firearm or was getting kind of concerned about the situation because of how loud and how heavy this creature was. And he said, you know, in my mind, I didn't see this thing, but I think it was probably a Sasquatch because what else would, would do that and in four steps clear this, you know, 20-foot deck or whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, he went on about a lot of the stories in the local area and, you know, some people kind of accept it and other people see it as sort of a gimmick. I mean, the restaurant we were at has Bigfoot, right, in a bunch of little Bigfoot statues and the shirt they have, which I'm wearing, has, you know, Bigfoot and, and kind of the stars and Paul is wearing the same shirt. So culturally, Bigfoot is very present. And that's what I talked about in my presentation was how recently um, the data has shown that Pennsylvania may actually be the third best state in the country essentially to see Bigfoot. Uh, per sightings reports after Washington and California, which previously held you know, Pennsylvania was still within the top 10, but not the top um, three. And I think that has to do a lot with the population density and uh, the fact that Pennsylvania's mountains aren't as treacherous as they are out west. And there's a lot more farming because you need people to have sightings. So 
I think that's one of the biggest factors giving Pennsylvania an edge. And uh, Pennsylvania, for whatever reason, seems to be one of these states, too, where there's a big connection between UFOs and Bigfoot in the same area, like I said, with Stan Gordon's research and, and some of the other areas. But uh, just wanted to mention one spot that we checked out, Shane and I and some folks from the meeting, we went to an area that was recommended to me by Eric Altman, who's a friend of the show and another Pennsylvania Bigfoot and kind of cryptid anomalous phenomena researcher. He said there was a road up there where there's a gas well and a pipeline. And uh, he's had meetings at that uh, restaurant before the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, and they would go up to this spot and always had activity. So we took a little walk up there. In this area, This the forest was a lot different than any of the other forests in the area. It was up on a ridge line. And you could see through a lot of the trees, and we walked through maybe 10, 15 minutes. It was it was very hot and muggy, but we found tons of bear scat. And as far as I could tell, that area was pretty squatchy, as they as they say. So that was cool, and that's the kind of place I'd love to go back at night. So if anyone else had anything to add about the, the meeting there. Can you define squatchy for Phil or Paul and I real quick? Sure. Squat, squatchy. <laughs> It's a you know mountainous or ruggy, a swamp, a rugged or swampy area that has a lot of tree cover, a lot of interesting features that just looks like the kind of place a Bigfoot would want to hang out in. Because you have to think, uh, these things, they're, they're, stealth is their primary concern and staying elusive. So they're going to go in the places that you don't want to go. So that's where you want to go if you want to have something happen. Paul and I were thinking that's where you grow squash. But yeah, so I didn't, didn't quite get the, uh, the, the reference. But, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, for the first time in uh, years, I'm not wearing a bow tie. This is the uh, sort of uh, Sunday go-to-meet and clothes in the flap area here. I want to ask, Lori, you did a, uh, an interview, and uh, we're quite pleased with it. Could you talk about that? I spoke with um, a couple who lives um, in the area, and what I was most impressed with was when they described what their experience was. They described it in very um, observable terms. They were able to tell me approximately the, the year that it happened, uh, the month, the time of day, the weather conditions, um, the duration of uh, which they, they were reporting some banging sounds that they heard. Um, so they were able to tell me how long the sounds continued for and, um, you know, information that was just factual. They didn't conjecture a meaning to any of the, of what they heard. They didn't say, you know, I heard, um, you know, military helicopters banging. They just said, we heard sounds. We don't know what it was. We asked if there was any construction going on in the area that might um, explain the sounds, but what they reported was just all factual. So that was, that was very impressive. And I think that's what we would like to do from the folks around here and Paul had created some forms that we were hoping that individuals would have filled out that would be able to give us just more factual information and not say, you know, we saw we saw a Bigfoot running through the garden. You know, it's like, no, we saw something moving, you know, and, and these are the facts around it. Um, so that, that was my experience with the folks I talked to. All right. Uh, thanks, Laurie. The, uh, 
uh, just before I know we're coming up on the uh, the break here. Ben is going to give us our cue, but the issue of the uh, form uh, that is online, it can be used for any reporting. Uh, now, on our newly designed website, newly designed a few years ago, uh, we have been working on, a, on an online form. People can simply fill out then, and they push a submit button that comes to us by email. Uh, anyone can use that form. It's not just for the Pennsylvania area. Uh, so just the, there are links to it from our website, behindtheparanormal.com, and uh, please feel free to start using that, and we will um, uh, get back to you uh, with it. And you, too, can make a difference in paranormal <laughs> reporting. That's right, even if you don't wear the uh, the shirt here. So, uh, Ben, did you have any further questions before we close out the first hour? Let's see. I am I'm kind of taking it all in. I'm living vicariously through all of you. Um, <laughs> I think it's super interesting, like, the, the wide array of topics that you're able to discuss and just how down-to-earth everybody is that comes to these meetings, I've, I've noticed. It's all very, very matter-of-fact, you know. There's no embellishing. They're just like, yep, something happened. This is it. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing, nothing crazy, you know, like spooky, scary skeleton type ghost stories. And I'm, I'm genuinely impressed by all of you. And I thank you all for putting in the time and the effort to come down to this very strange place in Pennsylvania and give up your Memorial Day weekends just to be present at annoying tones that don't go away, that somehow don't wake up Chuck, and also to, you know, meet these, meet these people and hear their stories. Well, we love you too, Ben. Uh, I hope in the second hour we're going to get, uh, they, they would prefer not to be on camera, but we can uh, get some uh, comments from the owners of the house here who have, have been at the center of this like for many, many years, particularly uh, our good friend Dan and host uh, who has who grew up here. And, uh, and then we can get some insights in that direction. They give you some background on the flap area itself. The flap area, of course, being uh, a place where uh, many, many paranormal phenomena, seemingly unrelated in traditional thinking, take place and uh, we do think they are related and we uh i just the, the I'm, I'm really fascinated by the by the tone that we experienced and possible interactivity going on here uh with so what, whatever you, this may be when are you coming back tomorrow night or this evening uh we're uh, we're headed back this evening because the tomorrow's traffic is going to be just a uh, paranormal oh yeah itself. it's gonna be it's gonna be atrocious <laughs> Yeah. So I was going to say, if you had one, if you had like one more day um, there, well, actually, this is kind of an interesting question. It's a, it's a short one. Um, if you did have one more day, is there any any sort of um, experiment or one last thing you'd want to try, knowing what you know now? I would be out there doing these tones again. That does seem to have some sort of effect. Maybe it's not connected, but I doubt it because it, it's just there are two examples of it, and I don't know. I think we should look further into that. Uh, as we uh, as we go, because th this is by no means our last visit here. We don't through the uh, kindness of our hosts, and we um, uh, hope to get back here at some point later this year as well, if if not sooner, and uh, to continue. And then, of course, the question arises: What is the ultimate goal here? Uh, we're documenting as best we can. Uh, Lori's bringing some discipline to the data gathering. Uh, we're having experiences that, that that I, in almost 50 years of doing this, have never had before. Um, so it seems as though it's uh, almost just beginning. Uh, rather than, than ending, you know. And we have other cases of this type that we're working on. Uh, we feel like, like we're neglecting our Connecticut case. Uh, we have over 160 possible EVPs to go through. Uh, and that's so we have our hands full. I don't think it's and so all much of, neglecting. All of other things. I don't think it's so much neglecting as mounting a trip to Pennsylvania it requires a lot more time and effort. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a 460 mile drive for us in Rhode Island, and we have all the New England states plus New York are represented here, so it's uh, it's quite the effort. And um, 
we have um, weather to contend with because uh, it's you know kind of high up here, and we've had many days when it's uh, been raining. But you know we, we deal with we bring proper gear, and uh, we I, I do enjoy the stakeouts. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place, uh, even if Bigfoot isn't uh, walking by your windshield. Well, and so. speaking of weather, it is coming up to that time of the hour where we must throw it back to the weather. First news, best music. This is OM Radio. Broadcasting live and local daily from the Navigant Credit Union Broadcast Studio at the corner of Park Avenue and Kennedy Street. This is WOOM, Woonsocket Radio, ON, AM, and FM. NBC News Radio, I'm Jim Forbes. Severe thunderstorms are expected to continue today in the Central Plains and the Midwest. At least two people have been confirmed dead after a powerful tornado ripped through central Oklahoma. We transported 16 from the scene, 13 private vehicle transfers on top of that. Those were all from minor to critical condition. El Reno Mayor Matt White says search and rescue crews are still digging through the rubble in search of other survivors who may be trapped. A witness who survived that tornado in central Oklahoma Saturday night is speaking out. Among those rescued from a mobile home park in El Reno west of Oklahoma City is Tweety Garrison. She was at home with her two grandchildren when the twister hit. We had debris coming down on top of us, knocked us all down and everything. There was no way that we could have gotten out without help. She says her son had to lift off part of a nearby trailer that had landed on top of her in order to get her and her grandsons out. Severe weather is also predicted today from the Texas Panhandle to southern Nebraska. Forecasters say tornadoes, large hail, and damaging wind gusts are all possible. Alabama lawmakers are approving a plan to get around some judges who are refusing to sign any marriage licenses because of their objections to same-sex marriage. The legislature approved a bill that would end all marriage licenses and instead approve marriage certificates. The certificates would not need to be signed by probate judges. About a half dozen of the state's probate judges have refused to sign any marriage license because they don't want to be seen as endorsing same-sex marriage. John Jeffries, NBC News Radio. And White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders says President Trump and North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un are both very critical of former Vice President and Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden. On NBC's Meet the Press, Sanders defended their stance against Biden and for evoking such feelings from North Korea. You're listening to NBC News Radio. Parrot Heads, this is Joe Callahan, your Mater D in the Tiki Bar every Tuesday night from 6 to 7. One full hour of nothing but Jimmy Buffett music. The Tiki Bar is brought to you by attorney Bob Lauder and by the Carew Investment Group. This ONAM and FM forecast brought to you by Allstate Insurance, the Kara Benjamin Agency, 125 Eddie Darling Highway, North Smithfield. Call Kara at 401-765-5000. Gradually becoming sunny today with a high near 87 degrees. Tonight, partly cloudy, low around 54. Memorial Day, Monday, mostly sunny with a high of 77. Tuesday, mostly cloudy, high of 64, chance of a shower. Wednesday, mostly cloudy, 72. Thursday, mostly cloudy, 85. Friday, partly sunny at 77. And next Saturday, mostly sunny with a high of 76.
Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Hello and welcome back to the second hour of our two-hour special uh, with half of, well, three-quarters of us way out in Pennsylvania and then the other portion of us, which is me, here in... Uh, well, I'm on... Hello, Father. I was giving the intro, and I forgot to cut you in, and I'm very sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Don't worry. No need to fret. I have everything under control over on this end. So the voice, the voice you just heard was that of my father and co-host and partner in the paranormal, and that is Paul. And we have a wonderful team of people that are with us that are way out in Pennsylvania, approximately, what is it, nine, seven hours, nine to eight hours away, nine hours? Uh, anywhere in there, depending on traffic. We'll find out. So... <laughs> So take it away, Dad. Okay, yeah. We uh, before we proceed into our second hour here, we wanted to talk with uh, one of the uh, one of the homeowners here who grew up in not only this area but in this house. Uh, to the background of sort of his, of his experiences in this the Pennsylvania flap area, as we call it. And uh, his name is Dan. He prefer not to be on camera, but you can get to look at the, these two handsome fellows uh, while we listen to Dan and. Uh, Dan, uh, why don't you just tell us about uh, life here in the, the, the Triangle and uh, what you experienced, and take it away. You're, you're a great uh, fellow to do that, so. All right. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say about it. Uh, it's just everyday occurrences to me. Uh Gee, uh, I don't know where to start. Okay. Actually, um, Ben, you're familiar. Why don't you uh, just interview Dan in an informal way? Sure. Sorry, I was I was writing jotting some stuff down quickly before I got started. So, Dan, I remember when I when I first got there uh, a few years back, met you, shook your hand. I think I still had hair at the time. Um, I, I I remember we talked a, a little bit about the history of the land itself, which was just. An, an amazing epic tale so why don't you tell us about um well first let's talk about the meteor crash oh okay i i have a piece of a meteor i uh do believe and uh there is a place on the property that i think a small meteor did hit uh, I don't want to send it away because I probably won't get it back. But uh, I'm interested in anybody who knows what uh, metallic uh, substance it is. It's not magnetic and it's really hard. Interesting. Uh, Okay. Um, thank you, Dan. It is very heavy, and uh, for those of you watching on the device where you can see the uh, video feed, we were holding it up, and Alec is uh, holding it up again. Um, I just can't get over how heavy it is. And you showed that to us in 2016 when we first started working down here, and it was, uh, it, I don't know what, really what it is. Uh, but, you know, that's not a bad worry you have about sending it away for testing and not getting it back. That happens all the time, particularly with anything that, that's related to a UFO or... or an area that, such as this that they don't want people to know about. Yeah. And so I think that that's the case. Uh, ben, yeah, another question. Oh, Alec uh, had a had a point to make here. I have a question for Dan. What would be 
the strangest experience you could talk about that you've had your time in this property if you're comfortable with talking about that yeah we're uh, I was uh, I guess the strangest I had fallen asleep uh, in the little pavilion that we have and when I woke up I had blood on my face and never figured out where that came from uh yeah, well, you were, you were telling us about that. that. Just to give you an idea of the layout here, it's a very large tract of land, and the house we're in right now is uh, sort of just below the uh, the hill uh, where there was a Native American presence. Yes. Yeah. And uh, down a road into the woods, there is a, a campground the family had always used as a campground for reunions, things of that kind. And the pavilion Dan refers to as a small, uh, very pleasant little wooden open building. Uh, that's down in that campground. Now, that's one of our stakeout areas. That, to, to us, even at this point, that seems okay. Seems to be sort of the heart of the area we've investigated so far. And we're trying, as of this trip, we're trying to push the envelope out farther. And I'd say we have about um, perhaps 40 square miles we pushed out into uh, some sites that we were visiting uh, yesterday for the first time. And it's a, it's just the beginning of the case. The Connecticut case has been well. We'll verify we've been working out since 2005 so that's you know 14 years and um there was a matter of fact, people get a kick out of pictures of ben uh, with the video camera he's this little kid of 13 so uh, and they even had hair and no beard so there you have it uh shane did you want to contribute to the discussion on this yeah, okay shane here so i have a question for dan um probably the first visit I was here, he told a story about being down in the camp area and being on a tractor and being knocked off the tractor, and I'd love for him to retell that for the audience. It'd be great. You get to look at Shane for a while. Uh, yeah, I was uh, mowing down in uh, my campground area, and there, there is a spot that we call the doorway and I was going through there one time and my hat got knocked off my head and it uh, I felt like I was hit hard enough to about pass out but uh, lucky my tractor is a hydrostat and when my feet come off the pedals uh, it's stopped so I, I just had a mark on my forehead and wasn't sure what had uh, hit me well thank you Dan um, now I have uh, Chuck next to me here uh, not Chuck uh, Alec here next to me uh, making some uh, preparations for a major uh, media production here and uh, can you tell us what you're working on here I'm just getting some of the footage from some of our night vision equipment. So we have this, uh, I'll hold it up now and I can describe it too. This is one of the, the infrared night vision scopes that we used. Yeah, and th this is the one that got the video of the UFO. Yes, and um, this is also what I captured footage of a weasel with last night crossing a log. Ah, paranormal weasel. And I would, all, all you, you poor folks listening without video, we will... I'll put these images on our on our uh, talking points page of our website for this show, so you'll be able to see it. And uh, Shane uh, has another uh, point to add here. 
Yes, the um, lovely Alice would like Dan to um, discuss. He he had seen a, a black craft and also experienced missing time with other uh, other people as well. So we'd like to hear that. And we'll turn it back to Dan. Yes, I was uh, down in this campground area, and uh, there was uh, oh probably four other people. And we had lost time for uh, about an hour. Uh, everybody's watches had stopped, and there's not not much else I can explain about it because this stuff happens, and uh, it just happens, and you, you're really not sure what to expect. And uh, it's a crash. The one time I was uh, on to another point. I was in the house watching TV and uh, I heard this roar and vibration. And I, I uh, wondered what it was. I went out on the porch and uh, I, I seen this, I guess, uh, triangle shape but it had a uh, big oval orange place in the back and it wasn't so much of a noise it was more of a rumble and this was in the late 90s so that uh, happened also uh, it, it was uh, not very far away like I said, when it went over the house, uh, it just made everything vibrate. And that's uh, all I can say about that. Well, thank, uh, and we have um, Alex Petterkoff. I would just like to pose the same question I asked of Dan to Alice. What would be the strangest experience you've had on this property or experience that you'd be willing to share? Um, okay, I haven't been here all as, as long as Dan, of course, um, maybe about 10 years. But um, I was uh, on the edge of a, not a cliff, but of the embankment. And I feel like something may have pushed me over the embankment. And I did a complete flip and rolled down the embankment. I thought, I'm dying. Because the way it happened, it was just so strange. But I also felt like I was protected for some reason because I was able to get up and get back up the embankment and uh, came right up to the house. Dan brought me right up to the house. And like five minutes later, I, I noticed my arm hurt, you know, and I picked it up and there was this strange imprint, this strange, oh, it looked like a little hand. Um, bruised under my arm it's like bruises don't show up in five minutes not like that so we i took some pictures and uh just you know wondered what had happened you know it just I'm, i still wonder about that i still feel like something caught me or saved me from being hurt a lot worse than i was um 
The other strange thing, oh, geez, just went in and out of my head. <laughs> Give me a minute to think about it. Okay. Yeah, just uh, like wave your hand when you think. Okay, you got it? Well, the imprints in the snow. Oh, right. The, the strange imprints in the snow. Um, this happened several years ago. I went out after about after we had about a foot of snow, and it was just to take some pictures because the place was so beautiful. And I'm walking around, and I found these prints, and I took pictures of them. And they were like, it was several prints, and they were right in front of each other. They weren't real big, but it was like something came along and just stamped in the snow. But they were like 12 feet apart. And they were straight. There was nothing around. It was just the strangest thing. And I still don't know what happened. And you could see where they started and where they ended. And they didn't go anywhere after that. It was just, it was like maybe five or six prints and that was it. So uh, I, I thought that was pretty, pretty strange. And I have found other prints similar to that since, but uh, that was the first time and still don't know what made them or what could have made them unless it was something flying <laughs> which who knows well thank you Alice uh, one of the points around here is is that I like to make and that better than I make about things in general is very often I think the paranormal phenomena the experience you have depends on what you bring to it uh, my, the example I use here in this area is uh, up in the uh, upper field, a spot that I love. I was there the other night when I was playing that music. Uh, that's where in uh, September of 16, I was, it was very dark, very clear, moonlit night. I looked to the right and there was a, uh, <laughs> a Bigfoot, I, I guess, a huge creature on two legs, brown fur, walking uh, the aliens are attacked, uh, walking up to uh, uh, the top of uh, the hill and uh, oh dear, He's fired. Anyway, and uh, I could see uh, very clearly uh, the, the huge knees moving up and down and the um, uh, head bowed as if looking for something. And Shane uh, and I did some um, tests the next morning and we found the tracks, things of that kind. Not tracks, but the path with the tall grass. Yes. Um, and also uh, Melissa, uh, the uh, lady who lives in the house just below the field there, uh, had also heard this creature while I was seeing it. So um, it was a very positive experience. It was very, uh, I felt privileged and honored, and it was very peaceful. I felt tremendous peace. At the same time, there was a poor, unfortunate little girl in the road, uh, not very far from there, who later uh, had had an experience with a, a similar creature and was absolutely terrified to the point where she won't talk to us to this day. Uh, these weird guys from beards from New England, I don't know what but hopefully by the time she grows up, she'll love, you know, feel uh, at peace enough to, to let us know. So uh, the point being that, that I have felt far, far more positive things around here than I ever have negative. I know Dan agrees with me on that. Um, the experience um, Friday night with the, with the uh, tone, okay, that we were discussing earlier in the first hour, I felt that was very, something was very protective. And maybe that's me. I don't, did anyone else have a similar impression? Uh, Alan? Uh, 
Yeah, the tone, it didn't, no, I don't think anyone was scared or frightened by it. Initially, it was, the reaction was more of a, you know, what the heck is that? What, what is, how do we turn this off? Because the concern was not to wake up anyone else in the house, particularly Alice and Dan who were upstairs sleeping because we were right under them. That was, uh, but, but it was, it was, it created more of a sense of wonder and amazement, I'd say, when we got outside and, and you could almost hear it kind of moving through the sky. I thought that was very interesting. Nobody felt really intimidated or frightened or anything like that. Um, I guess you could say protective or just, you know, it, it created a, a sense of amazement. That's the best way I can put it. Yeah. Okay, uh, ben, unless you have some questions, I was going to go around and uh, ask people if uh, oh, they I had similar thoughts on the positive versus the negative. Well, yeah, I, have a question, I have a question along that line. Um, yeah. So, you know, all that being said, you know, you had, you had sort of positive, negative experiences, uh, or positive experiences mostly. So that that um, experience you had the first night, let's, I guess we can kind of go around. How did everyone sort of, what, what kind of impression did it leave? Did, did it leave wonder, awe, amazement, yeah. ter- scared the feelings? UFO what? Okay. Well, uh, what did you feel, Paul? Well, I, I felt um, awe and amazed. Everything Ben said. Maybe you're my son. Maybe you have the same uh, same vocabulary. But same it, beard, same yeah, vocabulary. It, it, was, it was it was awesome. It was humbling. Uh, I feel this whole field trip approaches that you know the approach that way. Uh, so it was a very simple feeling of uh, privilege, and uh, you know I, I felt no threat. Uh, so that's about all I'd say, uh, Alec. Yeah, I would say the same. It was. It really felt like we were blessed to kind of see this and. Uh, the sky the conditions were perfect and uh, the fact that we got it on video you know afterwards we were so excited and it was getting late but we just couldn't wait to wait till the morning and check out the footage so we start going over the footage and you know shane and i had tried to get it on our cell phones and it didn't come out at all but we had captured it on the infrared and we weren't sure if we found it you know we were looking through all these clips and, oh no the frame rate it was choppy and then we finally found the clip with the object I think I fist bumped Paul as soon as I saw that. I mean, it, it was this tangible excitement. I don't think any of us felt scared or threatened or at all. Again, like with the sound during this encounter, we just were amazed. We were standing there, and, and you know, to me, it was one of the most amazing things I've seen in the sky. Definitely the most vivid uh, UFO type thing, and it was just amazing. And I'm, I'm sure the other guys would agree, but I won't speak for them. I'll let them uh, give them your give them the word. Yeah, for me. So, um, Shane. When I saw it, you know, originally I could try to rationalize it, of course, and then it'd be, it, then it just was obvious that it was something um, other, you know. And if now if I had just seen that original light with that haze around it uh, moving through the sky, I think I would have rationalized it. Maybe it was a rocket or something like that. But when that thing broke, shot out of it and moved around and just followed it, that blew that out of the water for me and it was at that point where i was just knew that we were witnessing something very special with all of us there together to, to do it you know and we're very fortunate that paul had, had that night vision scope to record the event um otherwise we'd just be talking about it and instead we we actually have it captured and i think it's going to be um well received i think people are going to really be blown away when they when they see it and uh, i'd like to get chuck's thoughts on that now yeah, I guess, you know, Ben, your question is, is how did I feel during it? I think the first thing that you you encounter in that is what is we what are we looking at, first of all, right? Because your first thought is it's not that it's UFO, it's that this can be explained, right? So you're always looking at it going, okay, what could this be? What am I looking at? And as it kept moving, you would notice it was going left and right. And I was like, well, no plane's going to be able 
to just shift uh, immediately to the left and the right while still making that like southeastern or northeastern approach. You know, it just it would shift. And I was like, well, okay, so we're not looking at a plane, which was pretty clear. Um, as time went on, when you start to see other things happen to it, like the balls of light come out and re-enter, almost like, and I, I've taken many reports of people that have said similar things uh, about, and they call it a mothership, because through their perception, what that is is a larger ship, with little ships leaving and coming back in. Um, I felt, I guess, the term blessed um, is that feeling of appreciation, and in fact, I think I even said once it went out of our one out of our line of sight the first thing i said was thank you <laughs> you know uh that's the first thing i said when it left um so you know you go through those stages of what am i looking at how what could it be what alternative hypothesis are it and and ultimately in the end can it be explained or not you know um so that was kind of the steps for me as well um i also have a question for dan if we could ask a quick question um so Allison just mentioned to me, there was also a time, Dan, and maybe you can tell us about this in the past, where you thought you heard a Bigfoot noise as well. I see you nodding yes as I ask you that question. And I was wondering, could you take a step-by-step? Just tell us a little bit about, like, you know, how long ago it was, roughly, and where were you and what happened exactly? Because it sounds like this was another time in which you heard another noise and it had a deep impact on you. Can you talk to us about that? Yes, uh, I have chickens, and uh, I think it was around 2012, maybe uh, 13. But uh, I was, the sun was starting to go down, and I was chasing the chickens in because I leave them out, and I was making this noise. Whoosh, whoosh. To, you know, just to get their attention to chase them in. And then uh, there was something yelled right right below the, our road. And it startled me, and it made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. It was sort of like a elk bugle but it was a lower case uh, sound and it it just uh, it just, just engulfed me and uh, it, I was too scared to move and it lasted for it wasn't just a short yell it was pretty long and uh, the, that night, my uh, I talked to my neighbor, and uh, she said, yeah, she heard it, and she chased it, her kids in. So I was glad that I wasn't the only one. It's like usually if you're out and about doing things, uh, you hear or see something, and, you, you know, you're the only one you look the left and to the right and it's like oh yep uh, I was the only one that saw that or heard it and I'll turn it back over to Alice 
I just want to say that Dan doesn't scare easily. So the fact that he was frightened was uh, major. <laughs> He's a big guy. Nothing much scares him. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you both. Uh, we love you folks. I mean, you're just so great to us when we come here. And uh, the, uh, I also wanted to mention, too, before we take our break, that uh, Bigfoot and UFOs are not the only phenomena that are recorded around here or the people experience. Uh, just briefly down uh, the next house, Melissa's house, uh, and she's the one who um, uh, was the one who heard the creature while I was seeing it, presumably. Uh, there are there was a shadow person problem, ghostly phenomena, and Shane is a sort of a Bruce Lee of the paranormal, and uh, with the, particularly with the negative entities. And boy, he went in there and uh, busted some heads as, as uh, Egon would say in a spiritual sense, of course. Although that, that was one of the Ghostbusters, anyway. But uh, all kidding aside, I mean, just these amazing results with that sort of thing. And uh, they uh, we spoke with Melissa last night, and uh, no more uh, problems. And there was one particular large entity uh who was bothering her children and never been seen since you went in there and uh uh kind of cleaned house so to speak so uh, so in these flap areas as we call them they're not just ufos and bigfoot there seems to be an emphasis on a certain phenomenon in certain areas maybe because of the energies there for example in the, the bridgewater triangle in connecticut you have massachusetts i mean you have um, all these things going on but you also have puckwudgies little people uh, we, ben and I have had some very strange photographs uh, regarding uh, those things, and we talked to witnesses as well, who uh, I'm taking the fellow with the dog, Bingo, and uh, the dog saw it as well. Little little guy about two feet high trying to get the, the fellow to move into the woods with him, you know, come into the into the woods, and heaven only knows what would have happened. I don't know. It's there funny, the, for the it. idea of the Pukwudgie is actually becoming more and more sort of like mainstream. Now when I mention it, people are like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's like... I had no idea what this was like four years ago, <laughs> like, and now it's yeah. becoming more. Well, and more we have the, the, um, I know we have to take the break, but the understatement of the century here. Uh, our good friend Mark D'Antonio, familiar from the Science Channel and the History Channel, Ancient Aliens, etc., who was a bona fide astronomer, a real scientist, uh, writes to us. Uh, he was unable to come on this trip at the last minute. He says, "So was the trip fruitful? I saw that a UFO was captured of some kind." Yeah, right. So. Um, he knows more than that. He's kicking himself that he wasn't here. But anyway, that, I thought that was kind of ironic. Aren't we all? Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, now it's, so, about time. Um, it's about time for our break here on WON 1240 AM. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And we are having a fascinating sort of live, half live, but half remote broadcast uh, over, over here with Team Behind the Paranormal. And uh, we'll catch you right after the break. Hi, this is Don Brunell inviting you to join us on the Midday Show from noon to 2 every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday with the Super Quiz, Great Oldies, and Interesting Guests. That's Midday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday from noon to 2. It's springtime and Paw Sox baseball time. Don't miss our Red Sox World Series card sets on our next legendary Friday, May 31st. Then millennials can enjoy post-game fireworks show Saturday night, set to the greatest hits of the 2000s. And every Sunday, fans can enjoy a summer catch on the field from 11.30 in the morning until noon, and then run the bases after the game. Visit PawSox.com and celebrate Rhode Island. Owen Radio. 
Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WOON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM. And you are listening to our two-hour special with three-quarters of our team live from Pennsylvania at the Pennsylvania Flap area that we've been doing so much research on over the years. And we'll throw it right back to the boys in the field. Okay, well, thank you, Ben. Uh, it's Paul Eno here, and we're going to be uh, talking with uh, Alexander Petikoff with some uh, illustrations here. We're going to, and everything that uh, the folks are seeing on the uh, TV feed, uh, we're going to be putting on the uh, Talking Points page for this show at BehindTheParanormal.com. So uh, what are we looking at here, Alexander? Sure. So I just want to talk a little bit about sort of the Bigfoot activity on this particular property. There's another residence where um, last year Chuck and I, after our town hall, interviewed three eyewitnesses and three, I guess, experiencers who were three generations. So this was really interesting. It was a grandmother, a son, and his daughter. They had all lived in this property, and they had had activity for a long time. There were um, visual sightings of a juvenile Sasquatch, kind of a smaller um, a creature, a larger one. There were sounds, uh, creatures mimicking chickens. There was, at one point, I think, one of the residents was mentioning a th- four or five different creatures letting vocalizations off all around the property and they're kind of down at the end of a road and there's an old county road there that's been shut down that runs through this ravine this very steep ravine where there's a water source lots of other wildlife in that area so based on the interviews from last year i was very interested in this area and i said i want to spend some time down there that's where i ended up spending my first night when we got here down in the truck and i was just kind of zoning out and listening for sounds i heard what may have been a faint whoop i did hear other uh, normal wildlife you know barred owls a bunch of coyotes started yapping which i thought was really interesting and um ultimately i ended up coming back up to the house and that's when we had our ufo experience but I really wanted to get into those woods and walk around there at night, and that's what we actually did last night. And what's cool about this area is not only is the, the residents in the area have had experiences, but uh, Ken Storch, another researcher, went down there and actually found a, an interesting track find after seeing one of these creatures. And I'm, I'm holding the track up, a replica of it, on the video feed, and it's a, it's a very large kind of human-like print, uh, which is of this Sasquatch, and they had a sketch drawn of it as well. I believe by um, some sort of person that works with uh, police in kind of uh, eyewitness sketches. And it looks very human-like. It looks like a human sort of ape kind of hybrid. And uh, this visual, I guess, happened down in this ravine and he saw a deer over its shoulder. It was carrying a deer and it was looking for crawfish in in the little creek. So I knew I wanted to hike this area. And Shane had called upon some buddies of ours from Cryptovania, Tommy Cooper and some other guys who said, Nick Martin, and they had had some really interesting activity in their area. They're just about an hour away from here towards kind of the Allegheny National Forest. So they came down here last night, and we went through the woods with the night vision, and and Paul and Chuck were posted down in this spot, and we were going around doing whoops in the woods and wood knocks, and it had rained, so there was a lot of noise from uh, water dripping, and it's raining right now as we speak. But uh, we, we kind of did some knocks. We may have gotten some possible sort of responses, but nothing we could really tell. But I did get some footage of a weasel or some kind of thing running across a log. And I thought I'd show that just to kind of, you know, it's a little funny little thing that you can see other wildlife while you're out here looking for stranger things. But stranger things, yeah. All right. Uh, doing the um, TV feed of the uh, night shot. You'll see it's the eye shine yeah yeah and again we'll put this on our 
talking points page of the show behind oh, yeah. the paranormal.com for those who don't uh, didn't see it. Uh, what, interesting. Sure. I was just saying, we were thinking about uh, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Uh, we did a show on uh, a few months ago, and uh, he is run, maybe running around in Pennsylvania. Anyway, uh, we're going to turn it over to Shane. <clears throat> so can we call that uh, Patrick the Paranormal Possum? Is that like a new band that we can start? Or? Yeah, well, oh, always joking. All right, so this is Shane. So yeah, like Alex said him and I went down with Tommy Cooper and Nick Martin from Cryptovania. So uh, they were kind enough to drive out here with us and spend some time. And and I just want, would like um, they have a Roku channel, so you can go on Roku and um, if you have that and get their app and download the Cryptovania app. They have a lot of free stuff on there and a lot of great educational and and just entertainment stuff. Or you can look them up on Vimeo. So I, I wanted to just throw that out there. Okay, uh, Ben, uh, yes. any uh, further questions from the, uh, your point of view out there? No, I think it's, I think it's interesting that we've, we've been able okay. to incorporate all these sort of methods in, into, into our, our investigative techniques. And I think this is that the, the Pennsylvania Triangle has really been sort of like a, sort of a, a, a guinea pig for, you know, catapulting us into the 21st century by... You know, expanding our methods from just you know walking around with a camera and interviewing people to incorporating you know trail cams, um, you know night vision goggles, and like drones and things like that. Stuff that we probably never would have thought of a few years ago, and now thanks to yeah. all of our wonderful We're friends, we, we we actually yeah. are able to think outside the box. Well, one point I'd like to make is is that I'm I am endlessly intrigued by the the uh, the sound. The technology we've used in this trip and what may have been the results of it. Uh, you certainly are too, Ben, I'm sure, but oh, that yeah. being your field. So I would like to see that in the future we will proceed to um, use more of this and see what else may happen. Now, I think oh, Alice wait, wanted I do have a to question. Come, you know, okay. So yes, before, before we get there, uh, how did you project the tones and where did you do it? Okay, well, I can answer just for the, for the music that I used. Um, your mother ran over my cell phone, so I got a, a brand new one, sort of top of the line, and the uh, it, it project. You know, I didn't even need speakers. I mean, it projects very well, very clearly. It's a gorgeous sound just out of the phone. So I, I was in um, my uh, truck in the upper field here, where I had my experience, and it was uh, it, it wasn't quite dark yet. It was getting dark, and I uh, actually went up through the the moon roof of my truck, opening it first. That turned out to be a mistake, but uh, I put the um, the phone down on the uh, the top of the roof, uh, down toward the windshield, and it did project out over the field. And uh, the cricket stopped, which is a normal reaction to a foreign sound. And it just, I, I, to me, it became very peaceful, and um, you know, n nothing happened right then and there. But with about 10 minutes in, uh, white flashes of light occurred all around the truck. Now, they weren't lightning bugs. There are some lightning bugs out very early. These were, were like bursts of, of white light. Um, I don't know what it would have caused those if they were of uh, some sort of optical illusion or, or what, but I've seen this stuff before, and it was uh, like orbs orbs of light that would burst you know, all around the truck. And then and they stopped as soon as I stopped the music. So something somewhere like, like that. So uh, now Shane perhaps can talk about the tones that he used. Okay, turn it over to Shane. Yeah, we just use um, several different tones that, that are commonly used out in the field. I won't mention the origin or where they come from, but um, at the time, just because uh, it may be controversial, or at least the, the gentleman that... Anyways, so um, I would like to replay 
the tone that we all heard after after playing those tones. And I, oh, I like to. I, I too saw the balls of light around the time um, Paul was seeing one, and at arm's length, about the size of a silver dollar, above the house, about thirty feet, as it st- sat there for like a few seconds, and then moved from my left to my right, and then gone. But it, it was not a lightning bug; it was much too big. Um, but very, very interesting. But I would like to play again since we have a better speaker. That tone that we all heard that moved us outside after after um, playing those other tones. And let me cue it up. All right. Hopefully you can hear this better. So I, hopefully that was a lot better. Um, I'm going to turn it over to... Yeah, Paul has another question. Okay, yeah, before we uh, move on, the... Uh there was one incident we have not, maybe not an incident, but one occurrence that we have not mentioned yet. And it was uh, the, the, the night before before we were experiencing the tone here that started in the garage of the house where we're staying. Uh, we were out on the uh, Eastern Continental Divide uh, in a lovely little park. Now, the, the rest of the folks pretty much saw it during the day. It was pitch black out there um, th- that night. But you could see uh, pretty much a, a wide view of the entire countryside. And we were standing at one point, and uh, we were do- there was a meditation kind of kind of going on. We, we don't usually do that, but I think we're going to. And uh, people were sitting around a picnic table. All of us were pretty much out there. Melissa was with us, and uh, Laurie and Andrew were with us. And the all of a sudden, uh, <coughs> I smelled a lovely aroma. And Alexander did too. You were standing next to me. And uh, the first thing I thought of was like herbal tea. Uh, can you say more about that, Alexander? Yeah, I, I was standing next to the picnic table and Paul was a little bit off to the end and I just walked over toward him and immediately this really good smell and I, I think I kind of said, that smells delicious yeah, and everyone yeah. sort of got a little laugh out of that. It, it would just smell good. It was like an herbal kind of tea and uh, just kind of a little whiff of that and then it went away, but I don't know if anyone else smelled that. I think Shane smelled it as well, but it was it was cool. Yeah, it was it was, it was delicious. Yeah, okay, well, I'll pass it on to the fellow, but I want to make the point that it was, it was quite breezy that night, and that smell would blow past you, you know, you, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't linger. So that's one of the things that struck me. Uh, Chuck and Shane, maybe you'd like to comment. Yeah, I would just say that, you know, being raised Catholic, it almost, it reminded me a lot of the incense that gets burned at Mass. And um, I didn't smell it at first, and I think everybody was talking about it, and I was sitting there going, well, I don't smell something herbal but i do smell almost a very slight whiff of like what you would smell once and what what incense frankincense Frankincense. yeah or myrrh it it smelled just a tiny bit like a very low end bit of that so that was the only thing that i could smell what about you shane yeah i definitely smelled it right after uh paul and alexander it probably hit me i was standing further away from them um but to me it was a, a kind of a mixture of like nag champa incense and lavender um it, it is what it smelled like to me well, which is what i burn at my house but it was um I, it was delicious like <laughs> it was delicious. So, anybody else have okay we'll turn back to paul okay so uh, a little incident say they may or may not mean anything but uh, they they do to, to, to me they kind of touch my soul a little bit you know uh, I don't know what they are, what was happening. Uh, there is a tradition, because uh, a bunch of us here are from the, uh, the Eastern Orthodox mind and tradition, and there is a, a tradition of, of aromas being associated with things that are blessed or holy or 
sublime and that sort of thing so because all the senses are called into worship so yeah that just made me think of that so so i guess this uh, so kinda, ben, uh, we're we're kind of we we don't have a ton of time left we have about 15 ish minutes um which i guess since there's so many of, of us we might as well sort of begin to begin our descent back down into reality almost well not reality but begin our descent into the end of the show and i guess i'm going to start off with you father um, what are sort of the conclusions that you drew from this trip? Any anything new? Anything amazing? Anything that's that that is sort of you know more definitive of your time here? Well, I think all of the above, Ben. Uh, as you and I have discussed many times, I think that these things, yeah, you know, yeah, we're looking for evidence and we're documenting. Uh, this is none of this is ever going to be proved in mainstream science because they paid hundred grand for their degrees and they don't want anybody coming. And that's that's what it's bucks. The grants don't come from this, you know. I don't mean to be cynical. Uh, at the same time, I think that there's a for me there's a spiritual aspect to this that is very very profound. Uh, I feel humbled. I feel almost on the point of tears at the beauty of this place, of these people, and of these experiences. And I'm going to hand it over to Alex. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, I, w I would say that time here is certainly not wasted I, I this is my second time coming here and i think it for me it helps reiterate how how weird in a good way pennsylvania is in this area overall i mean you hear all these stories about pennsylvania with all these different encounters but having come here and just being able to experience these things and i'm going to be honest you know when i first came into this last year i didn't expect anything to happen and i was of that mindset that you know, it's too good to true. It's too good to be true if you come into a spot and something happens. But um, just based on talking to folks and some of the experiences we had, I think they happened in moments when none of us expected it. And that really was kind of my takeaway: that these experiences, if you really are open to them, they can they can happen, and they really will blow your mind. And uh, like I said, I think time here is certainly not wasted, even if you have nothing go on just talking to the folks and interacting with people who've grown up in the area and had experiences is well worth the trip and i hope to be back here soon with with this merry gang it was lovely to meet dan and alice um so i'm happy i came um just because i was had the opportunity to meet them and have some nice talks with them and um unfortunately i wasn't able to experience everything that all the other team members did um and I don't have any really conclusions about what happened with the tones. Um, I'm just going to, um, I don't know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to chalk it up to anything, but um, it's just something that, you know, we were able to experience. Um, and hopefully next year there'll be more. All right, this is Shane. Um, yeah, first I'd like to thank Gals and Dan for having us all these years. They're very, very special people, um, as well as their land um, is, is very special. Um, there's something very positive here, very strong, and just um, it's special. And as you couldn't tell from uh, Paul's emotions, um, you know, from the the times where Paul and I both experienced, you know, what we saw Bigfoot, um, he, you know, two different times. He, he had his own, I had my own. We were both trying to exude like, you know, love and, and uh, good intent, and that's when we had our our experiences. So that that meant something. And then here, this trip, I think what was different is we really tried to uh, pay attention to our intuition, to act on it immediately, not to second guess it. 
and it is what we did and we also tried some th new things this time you know which came from our intuitiveness you know and it really paid off so you know don't be afraid to branch out and try new things and but always you know, i think what i'm going to start doing more which i've always believed in is going with my god my in my intuition and um it, it's uh it, it means a lot but i'm going to turn it over to chuck so this is Chuck Crino. So I've got Dan and uh, Alice right next to me. And, um, you know, Ben, you asked that question. What was his experience? What are you going to take from it? And I've been thinking as everybody else has been talking a little bit about what do I take from this experience? What are my thoughts? And first off, yeah, thank you very much for having us here. Uh, from day one, you've always made us feel like we're part of that family. What's always struck me about this property and this land and uh, Dan's niece, Melissa, lives next door. She said something to me last time before we left a year ago. She said, I almost feel like I was meant to be here to help protect this land. Yep. Has she ever mentioned that to you, Dan? Yeah. Yeah. And when I look at both of you, I can't help but see, even though you're not married, how married you truly are to this land. And Alice, when I think about you, in particular, in, in, in the relationship that you come in and bring to this land, it's almost like it was meant to be that you were all to be here to protect this property, like guardians or protectors. And I get kind of goosebumps talking about it right now, to be quite honest with you, because this is a special place. And I think life is a little more complicated than we understand. What is reality? What is life, right? And I think when I think about all of you in this property there's a reason you're all here there's a reason that we were brought into this and whatever's going on here it's bigger than all of us but for some reason you've all been drawn here and you've all accepted that sort of role of protecting this property and i found it interesting that all these weird supernatural things have happened here and when you look at the history of the native americans and the burial grounds that were here it's clear to me that this land meant a lot to them as well. So here we are hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years later, and the land still calls out for guardians. And I, I look at your roles and I thank you for allowing us to be here because it is sacred and it's been sacred for a long time. And it's, it's fascinating to me to see how you treat the occurrences, how you kind of shepherd the area and you allow it to just be the way it needs to be. So thank you for everything. Thank you. And we love Remy. Oh, you bring me the dog. <laughs> well, thank you all. I can't imagine a more beautiful note on which to end the show and to begin. <clears throat> Are we ready for our announcements, Ben? Oh, we do have quite a bit, so we should. <laughs> we we probably should hop into that. But, uh, okay. but first, before we get to that, um, is is there any anybody around around the table that's working on anything new, anything they have coming out within the next, you know, forever? Any any books, projects, whatever. Well, I have a book, and as a matter of fact, as soon as, soon as I left the house, uh, your, your brother called me and said, oh, a package arrived from the publisher. Wouldn't you know, it was the first author's copy of the, the next book, and I haven't even seen it yet. So uh, we celebrated with cigars the other day. Uh, Alexander, you look like you have something new to announce. Do you have any films coming out? Sure, yeah. I'm still working on my documentary called Lions of the East, which is about the mountain lion phenomena in New England, and sort of the uh, efforts to suppress some of that and how much of a conspiracy it is just about mountain lions. You can only imagine uh, phenomena more uh, 
or deep reaching than that. But aside from that, I, I hope to do a write up about this entire event and uh, just kind of move forward with the uh, video analysis of the footage we got because I think it's very fascinating. Anyone else? Anyone else, sir? Okay. And uh, just to emphasize once again that all the vi the visual things we did during the show will be, uh, for those without the video feed, will be on the Talking Points page uh, for this show. Uh, give us a few days because we have to get home and get everything organized. <clears throat> so, uh, first of all, again, many thanks to our generous hosts here, Alice and Dan, uh, who let us come here for days. We take over their house, we take over their land, and they're very patient about it. They feed us on top of it. So, thanks again. Uh, for, thanks to the folks at Over the Mountain uh, Restaurant in Rockton, Pennsylvania, who kindly hosted our uh, community meeting yesterday, uh, well attended. Uh, as Lori eloquently urged everyone yesterday, please submit your paranormal experiences via the online form at BehindTheParanormal.com or just contact, uh, to contact us for an interview. Um, okay, um, everything's... Uh, I guess, okay, well, a few months to go before our next public event. That's going to be on Tuesday, August 6th, 7 p.m. Uh, I'll be at the Nashua Public Library in Nashua, New Hampshire, to present a program entitled Extreme UFO Encounters in New Hampshire and Beyond. I don't know, maybe I can include Pennsylvania in that the other night. So right after that, on uh, Saturday, August 17th at 2 p.m., uh, we'll be at the Haverhill Public Library in Haverhill, Massachusetts to present on Extreme UFO Encounters in Massachusetts and Beyond. And uh, the book I just mentioned uh, that came and I haven't seen yet is called Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God. And that will be officially released on August 28th. It'll be in stores after that. And will feature uh, will be featured at all our fall events. It is now av available for pre-order uh, online, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and the usual online retailers. The official release event will take place with our good friends at the Toadstool Bookshop, Keene, New Hampshire, on Saturday, September 21st, beginning at 2 p.m. But before that uh, will be the 2019 Exeter UFO Festival, which I'm pretty sure we're all attending, uh, where we will uh, speak for the eighth year in a row, as well as uh, do our fourth live annual broadcast from this uh, event with a panel of speakers on Sunday, September 1st, from the historic Exeter, New Hampshire Town Hall. And uh, this great event is sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club, and it benefits local children's charities. Uh, other events this fall will take place at the Book Club Bookstore in South Windsor, Connecticut. Book Club is gourmet in Webster, Mass., and the Blackstone Public Library, both right here, uh, right there in our home listening area. And, of course, the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts on Columbus Day weekend and Mount Hope Farm in Bristol, Rhode Island in October. And uh, you can get our books, including Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You've Never Heard of, and many others. They're available online. Uh, from online retailers, and they are also in some stores. But if you want an autographed copy, you can find uh, that at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. And uh, also at BehindTheParanormal.com, you can find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us. And you'll find over 800 free recorded shows at our uh, from our 10 years, 10 plus years on the air, 11 now. Uh, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And also, uh, we, we like to mention, because we always forget to, if you want to become a uh, sponsor of the show, uh, you can find out more information about that from BehindTheParanormal.com. So that way, if you have you know any, any sort of uh, online business and you want a good way to advertise, uh, don't forget, this is not just a terrestrial radio show. We also, do we also turn these into podcasts and have all sorts of interesting content that uh, can uh, be used with your advertising. 
And uh, the the charities we mentioned too, uh, there is a link on our page, and you, you can uh, that in turn has links to the various charities. Uh, I particularly want to emphasize that we know the folks who run these charities. We check them out very carefully to make sure the money goes where you intended to go, and not just for administration or nice cars, that sort of thing. And uh, we Plus, we had have one of the owners on our show at one point in time of Youth Mentoring Connections. Yeah, well, well two, actually, Youth Mentoring Connection. We also had uh, the Sisterhood of Ground Zero. She doesn't want her name out there, but th these are people who are responders to the 9-11 attacks in New York City, and uh, they've been through a lot, and th there isn't a lot of help. Uh, for them uh, when it comes to support, PTSD, etc. So a sisterhood of ground zero, we, we certainly point that out. So Ben, what do we have uh, in the pantry for next week? So in the pantry we have on uh, June 2nd, so the, first, or the second day of June, uh, we'll bring you not only our uh, 11th anniversary show, um, but we are going to be having a fascinating uh, subject, probably one of the most fascinating subjects that we've ever covered. So British science journalist Marcus Loth, I'm pronouncing that correctly, yeah? Yes, sure. There we go. Well, it was not even phonetics. Um, uh, he'll, he'll be on to uh, talk about cases where organ recipients inherit personality traits from organ donors, uh, whether the donors are alive or not. Uh, so get your questions to BehindTheParanormal.com. You can message us on Facebook and call us during the show. That's 401-766-1240. Uh, I think that's really amazing, and I can't wait to talk. I've had a great conversation with him by phone in preparation for the uh um, show and um, wonderful stuff. And there's very little. There's very little. There, it's, it's a well-known phenomenon, but people just um, are not familiar with it, and there aren't that many people who've studied it. But Marcus says, writes about many subjects of being a science journalist, and um, he has made a study of, of. I can't think of anything more fascinating. People receiving a donor a organ, like a new, a new kidney or a new liver or something, or whatever. And uh, taking on some of the, uh, all of a sudden, you know, that they, they like the stuff to eat that the, the person who donated, you know, I mean, that is really amazing. What does it mean for our, well, what we really are? Well, it's interesting. So anyway, there's, we, there's, um, there's so much, like, we, anecdotal evidence about it that you don't get a chance to, you know, really see some, like, hardcore, you know, sort of yeah. case studies I've, on it. I've known two, I've known two people who have been organ donors. Uh, in one case, the, uh, uh, or I should say organ recipients, the donor in one case, uh, had survived uh, and, and was just donating a kidney, and uh, they didn't know each other. They, they became fast friends. They were like siblings, you know, and uh, they shared memories at times. At least they, they believe they did. Another case, the, the person was um, uh, not uh, with us anymore, had translated, and uh, he became very close with this person's family. They hadn't known them before and in inherited some of the memories and some of the tastes and this sort of thing, and they kind of blended with their own personality. And we get some multiverse stuff on this. It's really fascinating. Anyway, uh, we'll leave you this afternoon with another astounding thought from that old sweetheart, Albert Einstein. We cannot solve... We still have like a minute and a half, by the way, thing. just letting you know. <laughs> All right. I'll be very, very slowly. Okay. All right. But anyway, uh, any... any Final thought. I hate to say it, it sounds like we're lined up for the electric chair or something. Any, any uh, last thoughts for the show? Rosebud. Rosebud. Kesa. It's, it's all right. Well, all right. Well, it's it's from it's from Citizen Kane. You know. Uh, all right. The, about your superior knowledge of film, all you characters. <laughs> have you, you have you never seen Citizen Kane? Yeah, about a hundred years ago. I think I went to see it in the theater when it first came out. So in like 1930, anyway. <laughs> well, something like that. Hey, multiverse is uh, you know indiscriminate and it's uh, and it's a humor. Um, are we ready for the quote now, Ben? 
Uh, I mean, if, if you want to, just draw it out. This is a two-hour special, not three hours. All right. We leave you this afternoon with another thought from dear old Albert. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Which oh, is, I think, very profound. We do create our own problems. Elon Musk said Except something very similar. Elon Musk, really? Surprisingly, He's yeah. He's a man of He is indeed. Okay. Well, on uh, that note, <laughs> thank you for joining us on this very, very special show um, that we had the privilege of doing. So thanks again to Alice and Dan for their for their continued support of us. And um, again, many apologies to all of you that I was not able to be there myself. But thank you, but thank you so much for having having the opportunity for me to be able to sort of interview you in a very loose fashion to learn more about the experience. And to be here. And thanks to all our panelists, uh, certainly Andrew Varnas, Charles Credo, Gene Searway. Return to Fair this radio Fair. frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.